Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is November the 26th, 2019, and this is episode 2555, 2555 of the Survival Podcast. And we are continuing this week of doing shows that aren't so serious. Uh, we will have the survivalist view of Thanksgiving tomorrow, and I will say sayonara until next week as I take the long uh, Thanksgiving weekend off with my family. And today we're going to be talking about that downtime, that downtime that I'm always talking about at winter. And uh, we're going to talk about planning and skill development in the coming downtime. And, I, you know, when I think about this, I, I think to myself sometimes, Jack, you do have a lot of downtime in the winter but is that is that really how it is for most people and and I think that it is because I think back to a totally different time in my life when I didn't have a career and I didn't have a family and I was a teenager and I lived in Pennsylvania in the 80s and it was damn cold in those winters and I say, did, did the downtime exist then? And this is how I remember my teenage years in Pennsylvania. It's when I came to fully understand and appreciate the term cabin fever. The spring of the year it was full on with gardening and trout fishing and foraging and stuff like that. And it would, then it would, like, it didn't go from spring to summer. Like, spring to summer is this transition. Is it spring? Is it summer? It's kind of a little of both. And finally, you're in the full-on summer. And by then, we were doing more fishing, mostly for bass and catfish. We were starting to do some of our harvesting from our garden. Some of our first, you know, main crops were coming in. Uh, we would go full-on into, like, the berry-picking season in early summer and into midsummer as the ber different berries would become available. Uh, we would start our scouting for hunting season. I would do a lot of groundhog hunting. Uh, things like that, you know. Then fall would come. And fall was like, still to me, is that just that time of year where you're so busy, but it's just an awesome time of year. It was like three months of bird hunting and rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting and sitting in tree stands for deer and butchering deer. And I was a weird kid, man. I mean, I didn't just like to butcher my deer. Like, my uncles and my dad had it made because I would take care of all the butchering for the deer, uh, grinding, meat mixing, wrapping, freezing, labeling. I, I liked it. And I would do all that, and then we'd go to Christmas. And Christmas was when family came, and people got together, and there were Christmas trees and lights and celebrations in town, and it was awesome. And then you'd have New Year's and a huge celebration for that. And then, well... Nothing. Nothing. Maybe a bit of second season archery. If you didn't get all your deer tags filled or you managed to uh, get a few deer home without a tag on them. But there, you know, that was tough hunting and it pretty much meant freezing your ass off. And a little later in the year than that, we could still do some, some trapping and predator hunting. And that meant absolutely freezing your ass off. So it wasn't that fun and we didn't do that much of it. Um, from mid January until early April, it was just boring. And it was effing cold as crap outside. And I think if it hadn't been for like weekend beer parties back then, uh, myself and my friends, we would have died of boredom. You know, we probably getting in trouble with the weekend beer parties is one thing. We probably would have gotten more trouble without them. At least because we would have been more evident in our debauchery. And now I live in a much milder climate for sure. I'm an older man, uh, you know, approaching my, my mid, midlife and not yet having a crisis with it, thank God. Um, and I still have a lot of downtime. It's a, it's a milder climate. It's actually nicer outside and, and, and it makes it more productive for my downtime, I think. And today I want to talk to you about planning and skill and system development during this coming time of the year because we're not in it yet. We got a lot of activity going, but I find that getting your mind right and getting things kind of etched out and scheduled 
is how you make the most of this time. So that's what we're going to talk about right now. And we're going to start out with a quote of the day by Jeffrey Kluger. You may not know that name. He's a writer for Time Magazine. And hold on before you get all triggered, okay? He's a senior writer, been, been writing for Time for decades. He's one of the few remaining, I would say, true journalists for Time Magazine. He's still a very liberal guy, but he, at least he is a journalist. He's written a bunch of books, some on the Apollo uh, missions. He's done a lot of work on uh, brain and neural issues and Alzheimer's as a Times writer. Um, he's a good writer, whether you agree with everything he has to say or not. He's a good writer. And he said something, and I, I, I got to believe this probably came from some of the work he's done on Alzheimer's and things like that and, and neural, uh, neural science and stuff. But he said something I thought was really appropriate for this show. Very, very simple one-sentence quote. There is no such thing as downtime for your brain. And there's a way, there are a couple of ways to take that. One would be in a, a pure scientific standpoint. Like if your brain is truly on downtime, you're dead. Even when you sleep, your brain is running all of the, uh, the necessary functions to keep you alive. It's making your heart beat and your lungs breathe and your, uh, your body processes that, that, you know, harvest O2 and expel CO2. It's doing all the things that are necessary. Uh, continuing to digest food even while you sleep. Like, your brain never stops completely. It rests, but it doesn't stop. But there's another way to take it, more in the vein of what we're talking about today, and that is that when you're awake and conscious, you're engaged in thought. And I believe that humans are at our best when thought is leading to action. I, I do think there's time for peaceful, quiet meditation, but I think that can only be for so long if we are to be a happy individual. And when we get into winter downtime, what we get to is a point where the body is less active, but the mind is no less active. And I think it's a lot that leads to things like winter blues and stuff like that. Sure, the shorter days and stuff can have something to do with that. A lot more cloudy days and less sunshine can have some things to do with that. But I think if we're active, we're happier. And all you have to do is look at employment to understand that. The worst days at work are when you have nothing to do. When you have nothing to do. Those days go on forever. The days that you have multiple opportunities to check the clock to see when your next break is, when your lunch is, and when you can finally go home, admit it, they're awful days. The days where you're like, shit, I have to take lunch now? Right? Those days fly by. You feel productive, assuming that your job is something productive in the first place, and you are generally in a better mood. Now, you can be overworked, and that's the other extreme, but in general, good, flowing, moving days at work are the best days that you have at work. Whatever the best is, it's, it's a day like that for most people. And I think what happens in our downtime, because we're not active, because we're not either planning or producing, we get bored. We make bad decisions. I think it's one of the reasons people put weight on in the winter, because you're bored so you eat. Uh, we probably drink more than we should. And we just kind of begin to atrophy both mentally and physically, because the brain wants to do something and we're not challenging it. So I thought that would be a good way to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. So let's start off with something I want to say up front, because I'm going to give you a whole bunch of shit, and it's probably going to give you as many ideas as I give you. It's probably going to give you two for every one I give you, and your head will start going, and that's good. But enjoy it, and don't get too crazy with goals and projects. You know, plan out basically Gantt chart. If you're familiar with the project management concept of a Gantt chart, your activities through the winter. Set a schedule. And, and if it looks like, man, I am never going to stop, put some stop time in there. There is a case for just sitting down. In fact, some of the activities I'm going to give you are pretty damn relaxing. So kind of blend activity with relaxation to get the most out of this time. So here's... Let's start off with some things to consider learning or doing in the coming downtime. I thought we'd start off with one that is very relaxing. This is for that day where it's cold out. And it's rainy or snowy. And it sucks. 
And you kind of wanted to do some really heavy-duty things, and now it's going to be spitting snow or sleet or rain. and Nothing's broken, so you don't have to do anything. And you just feel like, man, it'd be good to have a day where we all just kind of stay in the pajamas late into the day and make some really good soup and sit on the couch. Well, that's the day to pull out the seed and plant catalogs. So I suggest right now, if you have companies that you like their catalogs, this is right now is when to order them. Get yourself a big stack of seed and plant catalogs, and then you know bookmark all the ones that don't do paper catalogs anymore for your your laptop or whatever. And that's a, just a great day to just sit back and read about different plant varieties, uh, different uh, different seed options, and and start figuring out like, well, if I want to grow these peppers this year. I need to get them started by this date so they'll be ready to put out and, and what have you. And I don't know, I've always found that to be one of the more relaxing things. Even when I was a kid, and I didn't get to make that many decisions about what got planted in, in the dadgone garden in the first place. I might get one or two things that I could squirrel into different places in the garden because my grandfather had a set, uh, set of things that he was going to grow. And he saved most of his own seed. A lot of his seed was 20, 30 years of seed saving behind it, especially his peppers and his tomatoes. And they planted a garden not just for the enjoyment and not just because the food was healthier. They planted a garden to help feed the family. It was a straight-up subsistence garden, a very large one. And so... I would only get maybe, you know, like I did get them growing Swiss chard. That was one of my big accomplishments as a teenager. And that was from a, not a seed catalog. That was from going to a hardware store uh, down in town and I wanted to grow spinach. And guys, the, the old man at the hardware store just told me it's too too hot right now to grow spinach. And said, you might want to consider growing Swiss chard. You know, and I got some different beans being grown and stuff like that. And if I wanted more, like in one year we want to grow some stuff, I ended up having to put a whole new garden bed in. Uh, so that it, it basically like it's already allocated, but I still liked sitting back in my grandparents' living room and the old man snoring on the couch, TV on one of its four or five channels we got back then, and looking through things like the Parks Seed Catalog and the Burpee Catalog, and reading about and realizing there was so much more out there than I thought there was. And today we have so much more variety than we ever did back in the 80s. And I really think it's just one of those pleasurable things to do that also leads to making decisions at a time when you still have time to implement those decisions. Because if you find some new pepper you want to grow in June, it becomes a next year thing. And what I, what I try to get across to you guys with all this downtime and, and making the most of it is not letting the thing you planned to be next year become next year again. Right, So that we're not sitting here going, well, I'll do that next year, when you already said you were going to do it next year, last year. So that's just a good place to start out. Now, another thing that's a little bit more proactive, and those of you that have outbuildings and shops and whatever, uh, it's a good thing to set up out there. And that's this is a great time of year to get into reloading. If that's something you've always wanted to learn how to do, you, know, you can get something like a Lee Anniversary Kit for under 200 bucks and a set of dies, and you're reloading. You then all you need is powder, primer, uh, casings, and, and projectiles, right? You need the components to go with that kit, and you can start reloading. There may be things you decide you want to add. There may be things that you want to go a little bit better than the base model stuff that they sell in that kit, but that kit at least will get you started. And, and my advice for people that want to get into reloading, number one, go to my website, thesurvivalpodcast.com, and I did a couple episodes very, very early on on reloading where I cover everything you need to know to do it. With that and a copy of Modern Reloading by Richard Lee, you can start reloading, and don't worry, you will not blow your face off. You will be okay. You will be safe. Um, the other thing I would advise you to do, though, is a lot of you guys have a lot of guns. I understand. I do, too. And a lot of you guys have a lot of different calibers. And it's very natural when you get into reloading to be like, I want to reload for everything I have and spend a thousand dollars on dies and you know reloading dies and components. Dies, by the way, are the, the the pieces that go in the press that actually match the caliber the caliber cartridge you're you're reloading for. So if you're going to reload 308, you need a set of 308 dies. 
Uh, if you need, if you're going to reload 243, even though it's the same parent case, you need a set of 243 dies, right? So you, you have a tendency to like, I have all this stuff, and you know, if you have a a, a caliber that you fire a box or two of shells for a year, that's probably not the one to reload. Start out with something that you shoot a lot, or if you had a lot of ammo for it, you would shoot a lot. You know, your primary handgun caliber, your primary rifle caliber, those are the things to look at and get out and practice more. And reloading has a tendency to make you better about spending time at the range. Because I just reloaded all these new loads, and I want to go out and see how they perform. And it's really, to me, reloading is one of those things where people seem to have their head on backwards about it when they first get into it. What they think is, I'm going to load more powerful, faster loads. And um, factory ammo of today has done a really good job of pushing the limits for a given cartridge. Um, you might be able to load your 306 or your 308 or your 7 mag or something a hair hotter than some of the factory ammo. But that's really not the advantage. The advantages of reloading to me are, number one, reloading not as hot. You can drop 100, 150 feet per second off of a, a modern round, and it's just as damn lethal as it was with a little bit more heat to it. It will recoil less, and a lot of times you'll have a more accurate um, load by doing that. And the other thing is just accuracy as a whole. When you start learning about things like neck sizing only and saying th these cases were fired in this rifle, and that brass is now fire formed to the dimension of the the chamber of this specific rifle, and my resizing is going to be limited to the neck only, that alone can improve your accuracy. And then tweaking things, because you know the loads that I've always settled on, I'll start out loading 10, 12, even 15% below maximum. And I'll do six rounds at that, and then I'll step up you know, a few grains of powder, six rounds of that, and then step up six rounds of that and six rounds of that, and maybe do that with three different powders. Same cases, same primers, um, same projectile, same bullet, and just change the powder and do four or five loads for each powder. And then go to the range and be very meticulous about how each of those is fired. You don't have to recite your weapon in or whatever. Um, you're not going to be that different from one round, one, one load to the next. And what you're worried about is the group. And when you get done with that, what you end up with is two or three loads that really did better. Well, now you go back and you load up a lot more of those. So now you can go out and show, you know, four or five, three ground groups with each and really dial into like, what does this weapon perform best with? And then you're going to find either there's one that it clearly does or there, it becomes academic, the difference between one and the other. And, and then you just pick the one that you like better. Or maybe now we have a winner for, you know, 165 grain Sierra boat tails. But now we maybe want to look at 165-grain nozzle partition next. And we'll find a, the combination that works best in our rifle and for our hunting applications that way. And it's a lot of fun, and it makes you get to know your weapons a lot more intimately that way. And then there's just the high-volume reloading for your ARs or something like that as well. You know, So that, that's, that's something that you don't have to get so academic with. And you can kind of pick where you start. But start with one or two. Because it's plenty to get started with. And once you learn from that experience, then you can decide, well, you know, I own a 22 Hornet, but I shoot it three times a year. And then you have to decide, well, would I shoot it more if I had more ammo for it because it's relatively expensive or not? Now, do the other thing. Load for the weapons you have that are expensive. You can bet your butt that I reload 4570 because it's stupid expensive. For something so damn old and so damn simple, it's stupid expensive, and it's one of the best bang for the bucks on, on reloading. Uh, another thing is this is a great time of year for inventory. Now, it's really due to tax season, but it's also due to downtime in business. This is when businesses do inventory. They, they do need inventory again for tax purposes, but it's really because they have time to kind of shut down a little bit and bring people in that normally do other things or hire some part-time labor or whatever and just count everything. And that that's fine for a business. But what about your life, especially your prepper life? This is a good time of year to do, you know, set a day aside and do a bug-out bag shakedown. What's in there that, you know, it's, it's food and, 
you put it in there so you'd have it, and it's getting close to that expiration date. And maybe we just need to pick a day that we go for a walk and we take that jerky out and we eat that jerky and replace it with some fresh jerky. Or maybe you've used some of your first aid equipment or something like that. Maybe if you keep insect repellent in your bug out bag and you should, you've had one one more or less times that you've gone out to your truck and got the insect repellent when you were at a friend's house so the kids would stop getting bit by mosquitoes and you know that needs to be replaced or what have you. This is just a good time to do that. Now, it's a lot of, a lot of time when a lot of stuff goes on sale. Uh, one of my favorite low-tech preps is hand warmers. The little ones that come in a bag, they're basically a giant O2 absorber. So they can be used for food storage. They can also be used to keep the dadgone hands warm. And, you know, they go on sale. So there's probably a lot of stuff like that. So this is a good time to inventory everything, you know, check the dates on your batteries and storage, maybe kind of move those up in the rotation so that the battery devices you have get those batteries used and, and start rotating that stock through. Look at all the food in your pantry. Is there some stuff that maybe needs to get used? Um, winter's a great time for soups and stews. A lot of food that's been stored a little longer than maybe it should be, but it's still good. You know, you start making your goulashes and your soups and stews out of it and kind of thin that out. Um, going through your deep freezer because when you get all the, you know, if you hunt, you get all and get a deer or two and you know maybe a pig if you're down in the south where we are, and you end up putting, if you're especially in a chest freezer, you end up putting the old meat on top of the new meat. Well, when it's nice and cold out, the meat's not going to start defrosting really fast. A good time to just take everything out of that chest freezer and then re-inventory and repack and take all of the oldest stuff and make sure it's on the top because you know you didn't do it when you got your deer because you're busting your butt to get everything back in there. That type of thing. So it's good to go through all of your stored stuff, your gasoline. Did you did you use a couple uh, you know, five-gallon cans of gas that you dumped into your car but you didn't fill them back up? And you get that, you know, back on par. How, you know, the good time right now to look at your winter preps. Like, for some of you, you should have done it a month ago. But if you use kerosene, do you have enough kerosene on hand to get you through the winter? That type of thing. But just no matter what it is, it's a good time to kind of inventory it. Those of you that have hobbies that aren't really prepper related, you know, it's a good time to go through all of that stuff as well and reorganize it, you know. Uh, they call spring cleaning spring cleaning. We usually do it when it gets, you know, nice out. We go out and we kind of do a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. But, see, to me, winter's more of a, instead of a cleaning time, it's an organizing time. And organization uh, is when you find things that need to either be rotated or go away. Like, I don't ever use this stuff. If I don't ever use this stuff and I don't ever see me using this stuff, if I got rid of this stuff, my organization could be better. So I think winter's a good time for that. This is also a great time, kind of right in with the seed catalogs, setting up your plant propagation seed starting systems. This is a really good time to think, okay, if I'm going to grow my own, if I'm going to start planting some seed this year, when do I need to start putting seeds in flats or hydro systems or whatever so that they're ready, you know, for two weeks after my last frost date, average frost date? So when does that need to happen? Okay, now I know when I need to get it done by. So now I start to create that Gantt chart we talked about, like I need to get all my shit together for starting seeds if I don't have it already by February 14th, by Valentine's Day. Don't give it to your wife for Valentine's Day, guys, unless she actually really likes that stuff. you know. But you know maybe that's about the time that you need to do it. If you already have done it, then it's a good time to sit down and think about, like, well, what do I wish I did differently last year? Did I start too many? Did I start not enough? Did not enough varieties? Have I put in new beds? Am I going to put in new beds? Is there going to be a space for it? Do I want to sell some plants to friends and family? Uh, and neighbors so that I can pay for something. How, how much do I want to do? And where's the space that this stuff needs to go? And what's it look like? Am I going to use the Kingbow lights Jack recommends or T, T8s? Or am I going to use some of the newer plant lights that are available? What, what am I going to do here? And, and what's it look like? And what kind of footprint does that take? And how am I going to set it up so that all my little seedlings don't die when I go on vacation for a couple days? Good time to get into that, and that's a that's a great thing to be doing because it it does one of the things I think that keeps us from being depressed in the winter months. We're looking to spring, but we're not looking to spring with I can't wait till spring so I have something to do. I'm doing things so that when spring hits, I'm ready to hit with it. Uh, next up, clean, service, and upgrade your tools, 
your garden tools, etc. You know, if you have a, a garden tool shed, this is a great time of year to go out there and just take everything out of it. Clean all the dirt off shit that you didn't clean off when you put it away. You know, sharpen that hoe. Put a little bit of oil on those tools so that they don't, are not covered in rust. If you have wood-handled tools, great time of year to kind of soak all the handles in, like, linseed oil or something like that. Please use precautions when you're using linseed oil. I'll tell you a quick story here. This was a summertime story, too, which might have aggravated the situation. When I was in shop class in high school, we had a can that any rag that touched oil or anything like that uh, went into. And it wasn't just because, well, somebody could set it on fire. It's because they said it could, you know, those rags could, in theory, just spontaneously combust and catch on fire. And uh, I was one of those kids that didn't necessarily believe something just because the teacher told you, which sometimes was a good thing and maybe sometimes not so good. And I never really believed that. I always put the rags in the can and all, but I was like, I mean... There's a hundred rags in that can. That ain't never caught on fire before or whatever. And there was a time as an adult living in Pennsylvania, you know, probably five years before I started TSP, so like 15, 20 years ago, somewhere in that range. And I had this rifle that had completely stripped the stock. It was a surplus rifle. I think it was an SKS. And I completely had stripped all the Cosmoline off it and all the finish off the stock. And I refinished the stock with a simple linseed oil um, finish. And... I had taken the rag and I set it up. I had an above ground pool, and you have that kind of, uh, you know, that it, this one was aluminum, and it has that that kind of border that goes all around the top of the pool. And I set the rag up on the top of that pool, and it was in direct sunlight. And uh, I was doing something with the gun, and my son goes, "Dad, look!" I look up, and I'm like, "Is that rag smoking?" And I'm like. Yeah, it is. So I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, well, maybe it really does happen. So I'm right here. It's sitting on metal. What? It took another couple minutes, and that thing went to flame full on. So it does happen. So whenever you're using oil rags or anything, make sure you take proper precautions with those. Uh, have a, a designated you know, metallic storage container for them or something like that. I do think, again, sitting in the direct Pennsylvania sun in the middle of summer had something to do with it, but... It really does happen in the words of Butthead from Beavis and Butthead. Um, anyway, good time to get all those tools serviced. Uh, hand tools, if you have cordless power tools, you know, if you don't have a really good charging station set up with all your chargers and batteries, uh, good time to set that kind of thing up. Get your shop in, in, in general uh, tip-top shape. Um, another good thing to do, it's a great time of year to take up the hobby and start learning the process of curing meats. Usually you have an abundance of meat if you're a hunter or if you're a homesteader. You've kind of done, that's part of why you have downtime. A lot of the livestock that you were taking care of all year graduated to freezer camp. Don't think you can't cure a piece of meat just because it's been frozen. You can defrost the meat and cure it. Uh, real easy, like the most simple meat curing method I know is biltong. So you could start there, but there's a lot of other Things you could do, and this is a good time of year to maybe, you know, if you can find an old refrigerator, you can do a, a conversion. There's a lot of tutorials online about how to basically turn a basic refrigerator into a good meat curing um, uh, cabinet, uh, or learning that if you got the right climate, you know, being able to do meat curing in, in outdoor environments because you don't have flies this time of year or what have you. But a really good time to look at that, and that is a, just an amazing skill set. And bang for the buck, it's one of the the best skills to develop. Because if you look at the cost of really good quality, like a Supercetta or something like that, uh, compared to the raw material that goes into making it, cured meats are expensive. And I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about Hormel here that you get at Albertsons or Kroger's or whatever. I'm talking about quality artisan-type cured meats. And it's not hard. It's something man's been doing for as long as he understood what salt did to meat. So it's a really good thing to learn how to do sausage making. And maybe it's not even just cured meats, but anything that's like that. Because a lot of sausage making has nothing to do with real curing that we think of. You can do dry cured sausages and smoked sausages and all, but just you know, learning the process of how do you develop 
a good mix ratio? And how do you grind your own meat? How do you develop the right texture for the right sausage, develop the right seasoning mix for it? Stuffing sausage is a skill. Um, you know, maybe I'm going to probably give myself for Christmas a lamb stuffer. I'm finally going to do that instead of using the, uh, the stuffer attachment on my grinder, which is what I've been using because it works, but it's really slow compared to a lamb. So, you know, that would be a good thing to look at doing this year. Um, focus on alternative learning for your kids. You know, most of this I realized I was putting this list together focused on what you would do. And, you know, we have a lot of impact on our, our grandchildren's lives, but it's still they're our grandchildren. I'm not a I'm not a parent in the you know, the the active sense anymore. My my son is thirty years old and he's you know on to his own life at this point. So I don't maybe think about it as much as I should, uh, and certainly not as much as I did when I was in my thirties. But this is a good time of year to, you know, take the kids to a museum. Pull them out of school for a day. You know, take a day off, pull the kids out of school, and do a learning day. And, and if, you can, if you can tell your school that and they don't cause too much trouble in your life, fine. If you can't, tell the kids are sick. Tell them to go screw. I mean, and just, you know, take them and, you know, find out when, like, the, the better museums or whatever in your area, even if you have to drive a couple hours, you know, Uh, are open and have things that are interactive. And if you go during that time of year, the only people going to be there are other enlightened parents that pull their kids out of school and homeschoolers. So there's no big crowds. Um, check if you have an IMAX theater. Check some of the things that are available on IMAX, some of the educational and entertainment that's not you know, Hollywood, really, National Geographic type stuff. There's some amazing things that they play at the little, the little, the IMAX theater um, down here in Fort Worth, or like the botanical gardens. And I know what you're thinking, you fool! It's it's winter time. Botanical gardens suck in winter time. It's all covered in snow and nothing grows, dummy. Well, maybe um, the Fort Worth botanical gardens have a huge arboretum, and it's like five bucks extra to go there in the winter. But you know. There's nothing to cure the winter blues like standing in you know a two-acre glass house with you know a coffee arabica tree that's 15 foot tall and the sound of waterfalls and birds and all of a sudden you're in a tropical forest even though it's and I mean the last time we went we kind of did it strategic like because we can go whenever we want it's not that far so we had a day that was like a snow day. And so it was, you know, they'd clean the roads up as best they can around here. It was safe to drive as long as you stay away from the rednecks and think four-wheel drive uh, has anything to do with how well you can stop because that's a danger around here. Um, once you get past that, we, we took this day where, you know, there was a half inch of snow on the ground. There were icicles hanging from the trees. It was in the low 20s. And we went there, and there was like four people in there with us. And we walked around in there, and they had like tropical birds singing and the waterfalls and all these tropical plants. And it was, it was literally like we took a vacation for a couple hours, like we had gone to Costa Rica or something. That's a great thing to do right now. But just find whatever there is, you know. And this is good to do all the time. But this is a time of year where kids get bored. And let me tell you something about kids and boredom and going places they're not really enthusiastic about in the beginning because it's not Disneyland or Wally World or freaking Six Flags or whatever. If you take them during the time of the year when they're bored and you don't really ha involve them in the discussion about whether or not it's happening, you just let them know that it is, once they get there, they tend to enjoy themselves. You take the tablets away, you take the phones away, and... You don't try to make them like it. You just go like it. And they're along for the ride, and all of a sudden, they're engaged. You know, I, I remember when we took Braylon to the uh, Arboreum a couple of years ago. He was probably, I guess, then six. But he knows, you know, Grandpa and Grandma drink coffee. And when he saw that huge coffee tree, and you could see, like, coffee berries on it, way up where you could reach, because everybody did, even though when you're not supposed to, is pulled berries off wherever they could reach. They said, that's where coffee comes from. Yes, 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 son, that's where coffee comes from. How many six-year-olds know where coffee comes from? 
How many six-year-olds are aware that a lot of our medicines come from tropical plants in the rainforest? He wasn't really excited about going, but he was pretty excited about it once we were there. Find things like that. It's, again, it's good all year, but man, in the wintertime, it's just a great opportunity to sneak away and do stuff like that. Um, those of you that live in mild climates, this may be the best time of year to go to the zoo. Because those habitats, a lot of the foliage, you know, the leaves drop off. The animals have less places to, to hide and conceal themselves. And since it's cool out, you know, they're not hot during the day and they're not always seeking the shade. They come out and sun themselves. So not every uh, climate is a good time for the zoo. But like here, it's a great time for the zoo. Again, it's another great school hooky day. It doesn't even have to be completely take the kid out of school. It could be, you know, again, I'm not a parent anymore, but I remember a couple times, like, just picking my son up two hours early from school. Why? Because I have something for him to be, I have something for our family that's important. What is it? I, I don't need to tell you. He's my son. I'm coming to get him. You might have to be a little more diplomatic now. I don't know. But that's that was my response. This is a family issue, and it doesn't concern you. I will be picking my son up at 1 o'clock. You know, and picking a day and talking to your kids that you're not, they're not, they're going to miss a test or something. Um, they'll learn more with you than they will in the, in the government-run school. And the government schools will be happy because they were there long enough to get their money for ass and seat money in the first place. All right. Um, another thing you can do this time of year is teach yourself. And this is a good time of year to learn technical skill because when it is really cold out and you were going to go out and work in the shop or something, and it's cold even for that. You're going to stay in. It's a good time. You know, learn how to install a WordPress blog and how to blog. Learn how to do basic coding, video editing, or audio editing, or something you've always wanted to learn from a technical standpoint. But, Jack, I don't know how. There's a 14-year-old kid on YouTube with a video that'll show you how. And it's amazing to me if Americans would take just 20% of the time that we currently waste and use it to do something productive or learn how to do something, we would go back to being like our grandparents, where it seemed like, I don't know about you guys, but I thought my grandfather could freaking fix or do anything. Even if he didn't have the tool. I mean, I remember being out in the middle of the river and him tapping on the top of a carburetor with a screwdriver. It was pretty much the only tool he had. But damned if sooner or later that motor didn't fire up and, and I didn't have to get out of the boat and tow the damn boat to the side of the river. We, we motored back in the way we motored out. And he might have said a few curse words and hurt his knuckles, but he made the damn thing work. And it just seemed like anything that went wrong, he either could fix it or he's like, you know what, old man Slifko knows these things better than me. He'd make a phone call. 15, 20 minutes later, old man Slifko would show up. And fix it. And it seemed like everybody knew how to do a lot of things. And everybody knew the guy that knew how to do the thing they didn't know how to do. And I'll tell you what it was. They didn't waste their time. They valued money. They valued the things they had already invested money in. And when they had free time, they did something with it. And yet they seemed to do an awful lot of sitting around doing nothing at the same time, old men. You know, there was a lot of porch time. There's a lot of time talking for younger, talking with the younger kids and telling them stories about the past. But yet, they had lived a life of filling so many of those holes with something productive, they'd accumulated this massive amount of knowledge and skills. We can sit around and complain that we've lost that, or we can go out and claim that. And our grandparents didn't have the opportunity to teach themselves PHP and MySQL. But you do. And it's amazing once you know how to do things, the things that you'll do with it. So good time to learn a technical skill rather than just a hard skill. Um, back to a hard thing that will then make you able to do other things. Great time of year if you have an outbuilding or a shop or something like that that gets pretty cold. Figure out an alternative heating solution to that. And it could be anything from, you know what, it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna order that kerosene heater Jack recommends on Amazon. And just stick it in there, and that's going to be my thing. Or I'm going to actually develop a rocket stove or something like that. It can be anything like that. But once you can heat that place. By the way, I found an awesome propane porch heater for heating my shop. It is cool as hell looking. I'll put a link in the show notes today. And uh, that it did take a couple hours for me and Nick Ferguson to put it together. 
when we when we looked at the instructions, it did look like we were going to require an engineering degree or at least like a Lockheed mid-level engineer to, to install everything. It wasn't hard at all. And it is beautiful. And the way it's designed, it throws a lot of heat. It's not a rocket mass heater. And if I lived in a northern climate like Wyoming or Montana or something, I'd probably build one. Here, you know, it's all I need for our winters. So, But anything like that, because what then happens is those days where I did want to work on something, the shop's now available because it's not cold anymore. And I know some of y'all live like in Michigan and stuff like, dude, if you don't have a heater in your shop, your car won't start. Okay, well, then you don't have to worry about that. There's a lot of us who live in these climates where it's kind of borderline. And it's a good time to look at not just heating a shop or an outbuilding. What do I need to do to that sucker to make it more productive for me as a whole? We generally have a lot of time on our hands to do that. And it's a lot easier to heat one than it is to cool one. So in August, when it's 100 degrees in there and you don't want to be in there, you're not going to take the time to do that. But right now you can um, great time of year to get into brewing, venting, mead making, or making fuel that you might accidentally spill in your mouth. Um, you know, it's a good time of year all the time to do those things. And spring and summer bring a lot of material to work with, and, uh, what have you. But, you know, you beekeepers, you know, you probably start spinning honey soon or something like that. So you got that available to you. Um, I, I will say additionally, though, that when it comes to making fuel, you're talking about using a still, produces a lot of heat. And I don't want to make fuel in August. But boy, sitting out in a shop, just minding the, the fuel still, if you know what I'm saying, and that radiant heat coming off of it and a, on a cold January day, maybe put the outdoor channel on, watch some folks hunt. I know it's most bullshit. most of the stuff on there is bullshit. It's still entertaining. Maybe a little music playing in the background at the same time you're watching the, the goofs on the Outdoor Channel or whatever it is, and maybe sampling a little bit of the fuel you made previously with a buddy. A great time of the year for that. And you're doing something, but you're also relaxing. And I think there's like there is a case to be made for trying to make all the stuff that we're going to do, think about, and plan relaxing at the same time that it's productive. And that's one of those things I kind of got to keep an eye on it, but not so much. Um, I think it's a great time to just develop your vision for 2020. I'm sure somebody's going to use that as a campaign slogan. A clear vision. So-and-so 2020 or something like that. America's clear vision or so. so yeah. How about your vision instead of America's vision? How about worry about yourself instead of other people? And what do you want your 2020 to be? And I'm not talking about the bullshit New Year's resolutions that everybody does and then doesn't actually execute on. I'm talking about outlining a clear, concise plan. Because let me tell you something about plans for the coming year. If the majority of things that you've planned aren't implemented, you know, implemented between January 1st and March 31st, they're probably not going to happen. And that includes things that can't happen until after March 31st. Well, then all the plans better be made and it better be on a schedule. Because if you don't do it in that first quarter, it ain't. it's going to become next year again. So develop that vision. What If you could have 2020 give you everything you wanted, what would it be? And then, let, then you know, kind of that's the magic wand question. It's a sales question. When I used to help design networks or systems for OEM installation uh, projects, stuff that I would sell hardware into, I, I would consult with an engineer or what have you or a, a facilities person on not just my piece of it, but the entirety of it so I better understood how my pieces could help them. And a great question would be, if I gave you a magic wand and a blue sky budget, what would this thing do for you? What would, what would, and don't worry about, you know, what parts and pieces would do it. What would it do? Like, what would it enable your users to do? What would it enable your boss to do? How would it, you know, make you look better? How would it help your company achieve its objectives? Like, what is that? And then we reverse design that with a sanity check of, well, we can't have everything, but here's how we get most of what you want. I think planning your 2020 or your 2021, 2025, whatever, because this is something that should stick with you forever. This should be an always thing, not just this year. 
that's what you do. You say, if I could get everything I wanted out of this, what would it look like? And now how do I get most of that? And which of that is most important? Which of that is most realistic? And which will be most long-term productive for me? What will be the best bang for the buck? And then all of a sudden you get really a sanity check on all these big ideas. And you get kind of, you're able to line them out and schedule them. And when you do that, you actually get things done. So create that vision for the full year before the year starts. And if you're all into, I'm going to quit smoking, I'm going to quit drinking, I'm going to go to the gym more, whatever, fine. But that's not what I'm talking about, just to be clear. Um, and last on my list, take a vacation. Take a vacation. Two weeks, two days. I don't care. Take an actual vacation. Go somewhere. Most people tend to vacation in, in the summertime. And if you're a parent, I completely understand why, because kids are out of school, so you can. For my wife and I, we do that a large degree, too, because it's easier for our kids to figure out what to do in the summer because our in-laws are teachers. So they have the other grandparents available for some child care duties while we're gone. So we still do that to a degree. But like this It'll be like early spring. Myself, my wife, and uh, uh, two friends of ours, a couple, are going to go down to, uh, to, to you know, I think, Grand, Granbury. Where the hell is it? I can't remember. It's some town in Texas that my wife has wanted to go to forever. Um, again, it doesn't matter where it is. Uh, down toward San Antonio-ish, but not. It's in the hill country. Uh, near where Enchanted Rock is, if you're familiar with that area. Um, we're going to go there, stay at a bed and breakfast, spend a long weekend, just get away. You know, but if you are the kind of person that likes to go on cruises or Caribbean or something like that, go in the winter when it's freaking cold here. You know, and go, you know, find the part of the, because the winter is a high season for some of that. There's still some off season. Go in that off season. Less people, less crowds, and it's really a lot more like a vacation because it's so different. That's one thing that makes vacations great. But if you can't do that, money, logistics, whatever, take a Friday off and make a long weekend and take a, you know, kind of an overnighter or even a day trip. For some reason, there's a day trip on a Friday is a hell of a lot more enjoyable than a day trip on a Saturday. And I'll tell you what it is. A lot of us do have all these things we want to accomplish. So a lot of it, especially this time of year, when the days are shorter and it's freaking dark at 6 o'clock or 4 o'clock, depending on where you live, by the time you get off work and get home and eat dinner, it's dark. So the only time you have to do all this stuff that Jack's talking about putting your head today is when? The weekend. So now you take a day trip on a Saturday, and you've lost a whole day of productivity. Now you have Sunday. And if you're a person that goes to church or whatever, the morning's hooked up with that, and kids want to do things, and you want to be a good parent. And so now your weekend pretty much got eight. And that's fine because you enjoyed it, but that project you wanted to do didn't get done. But. You take a personal day, vacation day, whatever, on a Friday. Yank the kids out of school if that's a thing for you. And take a day trip, even a, a overnighter, and come back Saturday you know, afternoon. You still got the whole weekend ahead of you. You've actually taken more time for yourself instead of taking away time for yourself. So whether it's two days or two weeks or you know, half a week or whatever... Great time of year to take a vacation and then let all these things you've been thinking about kind of matriculate in your mind. You're kind of thinking about them, but you're distracted at the same time. Um, I want to say a little bit here at the end, though, how to actually make the things happen. All right? And that is, number one, I really believe that you should put together a schedule. I'm going to work on these projects during these days and write it all down. Plan it all the way through the first quarter. And again, you don't have to turn it into a second job. But if you're going to, you know, 
work on your shop and, and reorganize all your tools, pick a day that that's going to happen. Put it on the schedule. Number two, follow the schedule. Don't write up a schedule that doesn't mean anything. When you get up on that day off you have, and you're like, I need to get some stuff done today, what does the schedule tell me to do? Isn't it amazing how we always get our stuff done at work, and we have a schedule at work and things that are supposed to be done? So put it on the schedule, follow the schedule, and here's the big tip. This is the most important one. Do the things you don't want to do first. And that includes, like, I want to do this project, but there's 12 steps to get this project done. Some of them are I'm looking forward to, and some of them I really don't want to do. There are some things in a project like that that have to be done in a sequence. You obviously can't, if we're refinishing something that's wooden, we obviously can't put the new stain on it until we strip the old one off, just as an example. But a lot of times, there's 12 things that really need to be done to get this thing complete. There's some obvious things that have to go first, and there's some things that, well... They don't have to go first. They could go first. And they're the things that are least pleasant. Whatever is the least pleasant in a process should go as close to the beginning as possible. Because once you do that, you will stop giving yourself excuses as to why you don't want to do the thing you said you wanted to do today today. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, right now, what I'm doing is all the crap I don't want to do for all my projects this year. Draining IBCs. Taking out old temporary fencing, uh, getting rid of some of my uh, fence posts that I had to make with cinder blocks and concrete because I don't need them anymore. All the stuff that I don't actually want to do, uh, cutting out some old trees that died and stuff like that, dealing with waste. So we have a dumpster out in front of my house right now. I'm doing all the things I don't want to do first because then when I get to the things I want to do, I will do those you know, with reckless abandon. So that's it. The way to make things happen, put it on a schedule, follow the schedule, and to the degree that you can, do the things you don't want to do first. Because that will get you in motion and then inertia. Because you either have two types of inertia. The lack thereof or the inertia they're, they're needed. Right. So inertia, once you get an object in motion, it tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Right. Well, inertia, when you think about it that way, can kind of be a negative force, as in, Until you get the object in motion, it's really easy for it not to move at all. So to get inertia on your side, you got to get moving. And if you put the things you want to do last at the end, that will be the outside force that interferes with the inertia. But if we do the things we don't want to do, it's a lot more like rolling downhill and the hill keeps getting steeper. And we start speeding up. All right. Uh, final thought. You will do more for you and your family during all of this time if you turn off the news. I'm not going to play the circus music for you today. But we all know what the circus music sounds like. Dun, da, dun, da, dun, right? The clown show will go into fever pitch by January. The Democrat primaries will be running. There'll be more slings and arrows thrown at Trump. The orange man will respond. It will be the most important election in our lifetime, even though it's you know 10 months away at that point. If you really think it's important, check out what's going on in October. You're not going to have any freaking impact on it till then. You know, At least you can have your catharsis and you can vote in November, but just for the first quarter of the year... Turn off the news. Don't worry about it. If something really, really important happens, somebody will tell you. You won't be able to avoid finding out. Nothing out in that world is as important as the things that you can put your hands on and touch in your life. Get things done. Spend time with your kids or your spouse. Take a vacation. Develop a skill. While that is good advice all the time, it is the best advice for the downtime that is soon to come. With that, we've wrapped up another episode. I want to remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always support us simply by doing your online shopping 
at the survive, I'm sorry, at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And of course, you can go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on the tspaz tab. When you get there, you'll see all the items that I recommend with reviews on Amazon. You'll see honest, honest to God reviews of products that I have spent my money on that I use in my daily life. And if I needed another one, I would buy the same product again or it doesn't go there. I think there's a billion sites online today that review products. And most of the products that are reviewed, the person doing the review has never touched one. You can read the reviews and you can tell this person has never touched one. Because they just wrote a review on the five best food processors. And they did not buy five food processors. The one they said was the best was the one with the highest reviews that cost the most money. Check it out. It's always the case. But when you see my reviews, you get to read... And you read it, you know this dude bought this thing and used it and decided that it was money well spent. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of shit in my house that I bought over the years and I've used and it's okay. Didn't get on there because I wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't recommend it again. I don't recommend it to you. Today's item of the day is one I had around just about a month and a half ago. I got it for you for two two reasons again today, though. Number one, it's on sale 15 bucks off, which is like a 36% discount. So it's a great price today. Um, the other reason is because it is heading into Christmas time. And I've said I want to bring stuff to you that make good Christmas gifts. This is a French press. But it is a beautiful looking and beautifully functional French press. It's made by a company called Secura, S-E-C-U-R-A. It is stainless steel, double wall insulated. It comes with three screens that go with the press. So you can either swap them out when you're cleaning them. Or you can use multiple screens at a time to get a, a better, cleaner press. You will love this if you're a coffee drinker and you like to make really good coffee. I have found that a French press probably makes the best coffee that you can make, in my opinion anyway. Uh, if you really love teas, this is a great way to do that. It makes about three cups of coffee or tea, normal size cups. For me and Dorothy, it makes about two because I use my great big unicorn, my farting rainbow unicorn cup a listener gave me. Um, and I just like bigger cups of coffee. Uh, but generally makes about three. And you can get bigger ones. That's a 50-ounce one. I think they have an 80-ounce one. So if you can get a larger one if you want to as well. Um, the, they have a bunch of different colors. And the colors are not really, from my, my, when I check, like blue and red and all, not really on sale. But if you like the silver one, I think it looks the best, honestly. It's on sale for like 25 bucks. That's a hell of a deal on a really quality piece of equipment. And since it's Christmas time, what a great gift. If you have someone in your life that you know likes coffee, tea, etc., especially someone that likes to drink coffee and tea and works at an office where they have a break room with shitty coffee in it, as long as that coffee or break room, and most of them do, has a source of hot water, they can make their own coffee by the cup. They don't have nothing to plug in. Um, you know, I had a job where I put one of the little coffee makers on my desk, and the facilities got freaked out, and the fire department was going to shut us down and all. And the truth was it wasn't, but it was a pain in the ass. Um, fortunately, I owned that company and told that guy to shut up or I was going to fire him. But I could understand if I had been an employee how that would have been a real problem. And a lot of your friends may be that way. So if you got somebody that goes you know, to Starbucks every day to buy a $5 coffee, Get them one of these, and as long as they have access to hot water, fresh coffee and tea whenever they want it, and consider making up some of my tea blends that I give away for free, the, the recipes. Uh, make, put them in little jars and give them that with it. What a great way to give them something that's homemade but not just homemade. And I actually give away two of my favorite tea recipes, uh, Jack's Morning Blend and Jack's Three Mints, along with sources to get all the ingredients for them. Uh, in the review today. So check it out. Again, it is the French Press by Secura. It's an insulated mug, so it holds your heat really good for you. If you're going to drink three cups yourself out of it, when you get to the third cup, it's still good. And here's the thing about a French press. When you push the French press down, you effectively separate the liquid above the screen from what's below the screen. So once you push it down, you're not going to get really tannic or really acidic after that. So you can actually store your stuff in there, and it comes out really, really good. Uh, check it out. you find it at T-Spaz and everything I recommend there. And remember, with the holiday season's coming, there's no reason not to do your online shopping at tspaz.com. You'll help us no matter what you buy, tspaz.com. That brings us to our song of the day today. I had to make a judgment call. 
Uh, John Adam, who is basically my music director, um, put together three songs for this week. And it's because I guess I didn't tell him that Wednesday is the Thanksgiving special. So it's already got everything taken care of. And that meant I had two songs to pick from from today. And one was kind of a fun song. These are both from country artists. And the other one was more of a sincere song. And I decided to do the sincere one. And it's by one of my favorite female artists of any genre, Martina McBride. I just think this woman has the voice of a flippin' angel. Um, her rendition of Oh Holy Night, if it doesn't give you goosebumps, check your pulse. That's not what this is, though. We'll save that for a different show. Um, this is a song she released all the way back in 2001 called Blessed. And it looks at all the things... And it, she didn't write it. Three people co-wrote it. And they look at all the things that they were grateful for in their lives. And I see Martina McBride as the kind of person who was able to really blow that song away, not just because she's a good vocalist, because it fit her, who she is. And the things that are important to her in her life. Like, it was written for her because it was right for her. And by the way, uh, the women in the audience that fancy themselves feminists and are all for empowered women... Man, you talk about an example of a woman, a powerful woman, from a standpoint of a powerful voice with such a little person, but so impactful in people's lives and so willing to stand up for what's right with women's issues. You want a feminist icon instead of a feminine Nazi? Martina McBride, just throw that in there. But what this song, the reason I chose it for today is because we are heading to Thanksgiving. And what I said yesterday was, Thanksgiving isn't a time for virtue signaling. It's not a time to tell everybody else what they should be thankful for, or for some of our folks that are special children to tell everybody why they should be remorseful on this day. It's a time to figure out in your life what you are thankful for. This isn't, again, as I said yesterday, it's inward. We had Willie Nelson's quote yesterday, his whole life turned around when he started counting his blessings. The first step in really figuring out what you should reflect on and be thankful for is to count your blessings. Think about the simple things in your life that bring the most meaning. Family and friends. The things that you do. Think about it this way. If somebody sent you to jail, justified or not, after about a month what would be the things that you would miss the most? Friends, those are the things that bless you. Think about that as we head into Thanksgiving. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. By the sun each morning Putting my feet on a hardwood floor I get to hear my children laughing Down the hall through the bedroom door Sometimes I sit on my front porch swing Just soaking up the day I think to myself I think to myself this world is a beautiful place I have been blessed And I feel like I found my way I thank God for all I've been given At the end of every day I have been blessed With so much more Love is a beautiful gift I have to